Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Really, in order to find quality care, you often have to be on a wait list that's months long. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. The aggressive advocates who were looking to overrule Roe for so long, they really had no idea of the consequences they might be opening up. In this case, there very well may be charges that are appropriate. For example, trying to obstruct an official proceeding of Congress, right? That is unlawful. This is KCBS In-Depth. Anyone who lives in California knows it has been a wet winter. But this past week, we got an even clearer picture of just how much water we've been getting. A survey today recorded a snow depth of 126.5 inches. Officials with California's Department of Water Resources gathered at Phillips Station, south of Lake Tahoe on Monday, to measure how much snow has actually fallen. And the results are pretty striking. Here's April 1 result from our automated snow sensor network is actually uh, greater than any other year that we have recorded uh, since the uh, snow sensor network was deployed roughly in the mid-1980s. So, it's here. The water that just about everyone in our part state has been hoping for over the past three years of drought. But now that it's arrived, that doesn't mean our water struggles are over. The real challenge as we move into spring and summer, though, is uh, flooding, significant flooding. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, broadcasting throughout the Bay Area and streaming on the Odyssey app. I'm Keith Menconi. What a difference a year makes. That phrase is a bit of an old news writing cliche, but for California right now, it could not be more apt. One year ago, California's reservoirs were depleted, its snowpack was down to only 14% of average, and more than 90% of the state faced severe drought. But then, over the past several months, we've been hit by round after round of storms fueled by atmospheric rivers that have essentially refilled our reservoirs and ended the drought in most regions. So today on the program, we'll be trying to get a handle on what exactly just happened what it says about California's water future, and what lingering water woes might still remain. We're going to start off by digging into the water numbers that have just come to light so far this spring. To help us out on that front, welcoming on our first guest, Janine Jones, who is the Interstate Resources Manager for California's Department of Water Resources. Janine Jones, welcome to the program. Hello. So I guess the headline number from this past Monday is that this year's snow water equivalent is standing at 230% of the average for April 1st, so more than twice the average. 
Remind us what a snow water equivalent is and uh, what this number means. Well, it's really a measure of the water content in the snow. So if you took a chunk of snow and melted it, that's essentially uh, what it means. We don't talk about, you know, measurement and say inches or feet because the water content of snow can vary greatly. So instead, we convert the snow to liquid water. And so having it stand at 230 percent of average, uh, what does that mean in terms of the water resources that we can look forward to in the year ahead? Well, it means that uh, for one thing, we've had a record snowpack year, but for another, it means that uh, for much of the state, our surface water resources are above average, not the entire state, but for much of the state. So as somebody who monitors California's water system, just give us a sense of how much has really changed over the past few months in terms of our water outlook. Well, you know, it is going back to your comment about what a difference a year makes, because prior to this water year, we had the three driest years of record in California, and now we have completely flipped over to a year in which we have record snowpack in the Sierra Nevada. Does sound, though, that there are substantial flooding concerns. What can you tell us about on that front? Well, um, a record snowpack is both a blessing and a curse, depending on where it is. And one of the concerns right now is that we have a massive snowpack, particularly in the southern Sierra. And when that snowpack melts, it's going to have to move uh, through either the San Joaquin River uh, system, which has very limited channel capacity, uh, or as is already happening, some of it will be flooding land in Tulare Lake because there is no place else for it to go. So we're already seeing some of these impacts take shape. Uh, what What is sort of the timeline? Is this something that's going to play out over the coming month, over the coming co- few months? What does that look like? Well, it depends on what kind of temperature patterns we have in the next few months. But uh, typically the, the snow melt season um, can extend into July. So we are definitely looking at uh, several months at least of high water conditions in the San Joaquin Valley. All right. So uh, a lot changing. We can definitely say a lot of it good, a lot of it uh, concerning as well. We're going to dig more into that in one second. Um, switching gears just a little bit, uh, of course, this year's storm series is all the more striking because just about nobody saw it coming. Uh, in fact, at the start of the winter, forecasters were predicting months of dry weather. So how did we get here? Well, to help us answer that question, I'm going to welcome on now our second guest, Alexander Gershinov, a climate scientist with UC San Diego's Scripps Institution of Oceanography. Alexander Gershinov, welcome to the program. Good to be with you, Keith. So walk us through this. Uh, why were forecasters expecting a dry winter and what changed? The dry winter predictions were based on La Nina conditions. Uh, La Nina is a cold tropical Pacific Ocean, and it typically prevents the storms, the storm track to dip down into Southern and Central California. Uh, and that leads to dry conditions that had been predicted. However, uh, La Nina doesn't really guarantee anything, although uh, the last couple of years were also La Nina years. 
uh, and they were dry. But um, we have seen in the last 12 years, two other years that, that have behaved like this one, uh, two La Nina years that ended up being extremely wet in uh, California. And those were 2011 and 2017. And I think the reason that uh, this year was unexpected is atmospheric rivers. Atmospheric rivers are special storms. They are what they sound. They're rivers in the sky. They're basically low-level jets of very moist air uh, that deliver moisture from the tropics, and they pick up a bunch on the way uh, that's evaporated from the North Pacific. And when those atmospheric rivers encounter mountain ranges, like California's mountains, uh, the water is squeezed out of them. And, uh, and basically, our seasonal climate forecasts are pretty good at predicting precipitation from all storms except atmospheric rivers. Atmospheric rivers are not sensitive to the ENSO cycle. Uh, the number of atmospheric rivers that hit California does not depend on whether we're in a El Nino or La Nina condition. Uh, and that's really something that we need to learn how to account for in future forecasts. Oh, interesting. So uh, it's sort of these, these atmospheric rivers are kind of a wild card when it comes to the precipitation in California. Um, speaking once again, we were hearing right there from Alexander Gershinov, a climate scientist with UC San Diego's Scripps Institution of Oceanography. Also heard a second ago from Janine Jones, uh, the Interstate Resources Manager for California's Department of Water Resources. Uh, sticking with you, Alexander Gershinov. So if we were expecting a relatively dry winter, but then we got dealt this wild card of all of these atmospheric rivers rolling through what does that say about our future water outlook in California? We've been hearing about the ways in which the uh, climate change is expected to make uh, California both drier, but also uh, have more extremes, you know, extremely dry years and then extremely wet years as well. Is that is what we're seeing this year fitting that pattern that's been predicted? Yes, our uh, climate here in California, especially in Southern California, is the most volatile in terms of, in terms of uh, how much precipitation we get from year to year, the most volatile uh, of any other region in the United States. And that is really because hmm. we're in a Mediterranean climate region. So that means we have a narrow winter season to generate all of our precipitation. So it comes from a handful of storms and whether we get you know, two or three really big storms. Typically, atmospheric rivers can make the difference between a wet and a dry year. So with climate change, this window of opportunity to generate our annual precipitation is actually narrowing. Uh, and we're going to lose the frequency of storms, um, especially in the fall and spring, as climate change progresses. But the atmospheric rivers are going to get wetter because in the warmer climate, uh, they're able to carry more moisture. Uh, an atmospheric river on average carries as much moisture as more than two Amazon rivers, hmm. uh, but it's water vapor. Uh, and, um, and basically they are associated with uh, 
the vast majority of our uh, flooding events. Uh, and uh, what we see with climate change evolving uh, is that as we lose uh, storms that are not atmospheric rivers, and as the wet season shrinks, the atmospheric rivers uh, actually deliver more water to California. Uh, and that means that our future hydroclimate will depend even more on that, you know, one, two or three atmospheric rivers uh, that we get, uh, the big ones that we get in a year. So what that really means for water resources is that uh, we have to learn how to generate water resources from flood water. Uh, and of course, uh, we've seen examples of this volatility throughout uh, the last 20 years where, you know, several years of drought have been followed by extremely uh, wet, and in some cases, unprecedented years, um, wet years. Uh, we expect to see more of that volatility in the future. And uh, certainly what we've seen this year, um, you know, I'm specifically talking about flood during drought is, is indicative of that type of change. Hmm. Yeah. So making the most of the water while it's here and uh, making sure that we can still store that, take advantage of it during the drier times that it sounds like are basically inevitable at this point. Um, bringing thing back, things back to the here and now, uh, the upshot of all this wet weather, uh, we are, as we've been discussing, going to enjoy a water windfall in the coming year. And as a result, that means water restrictions imposed during the drought will be loosened, at least somewhat. Uh, here in the Bay Area, local water officials are discussing putting an end to the use of uh, penalties for enforcement of water-wasting rules, uh, switching instead to a voluntary approach. Janine Jones, um, with the Department of Water Resources, I, I imagine it's a, it's a bit of a tricky balance um, at this moment. On the one hand, being able to come out with uh, good news about our increased water supply, but on the other, not wanting to let all of these good water conservation habits that we've developed over the past few years, um, not wanting them to slide entirely. So uh, it's your soapbox what, <laughs> on the radio show. What would your message be to our listeners um, as they're trying to navigate this moment? Well, there is a difference that emergency um, conservation that may be required because of drought uh, and the ongoing idea of conservation as a way of life. And California has state legislation that requires ongoing conservation during droughts, either local agencies or state government may require their customers to do more. But this really gets back to the um, point that was just being made about our inability to forecast precipitation at the longer lead times for California. Uh, so the conditions that we're seeing now actually really are almost deja vu all over again, because our drought of 2012 to 2016 was ended by an extremely wet 2017 that was not well forecasted. And now here we are in um, 2023 experiencing the same condition. But it's important to note that going back to our earlier drought, so we had a very wet 2017, but 2018 uh, was again as dry as our prior drought years had been. 
So, you know, we can't say whether 2024 uh, will be another dry year. And who knows, we may simply be in a long-term drought pattern, uh, which is broken up by an occasional wet year, which actually is rather indicative of this transition into a warming and drying climate. Mm, yeah, that's a, a humbling point about our uh, capabilities when it comes to predicting the weather future, uh, and also a, a bracing point as uh, we try to figure out uh, exactly how we should be approaching that water future. Uh, one last time, we've been speaking with Alexander Gershinov, a climate scientist with UC San Diego's Scripps Institution of Oceanography. Alexander Gershinov, thanks so much. Thank you. And we've been speaking with Janine Jones, uh, Interstate Resources Manager for California's Department of Water Resources. Janine Jones, thanks to you as well. Thanks, Keith. This is KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Mancone. It has been a long winter, with about 20 atmospheric rivers delivering historic amounts of rain and snow to California, filling up our snowpack, our reservoirs, and pulling most of the state out of drought. But as we've been discussing, that does not mean all of the state's water problems are over. To talk more about the work that's still left to be done, I'm going to welcome on now Heather Cooley, Director of Research at the Pacific Institute. It's a water think tank with offices in Oakland. Heather Cooley, welcome to the program. Thank you, Keith. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Uh, so you are someone who thinks a lot about how California can better manage its water resources. Uh, now that we just got an unexpected boost to our water supply, uh, curious for your thoughts right now, how relieved should we be feeling? Well, you know, it's fantastic that California has had a wet year, at least from a water supply perspective. Of course, we're now dealing with, with flood issues. But, you know, that water has enabled us to really replenish our surface water reservoirs. Um, and, you know, that that is an important source of water. Um, but our groundwater aquifers remain depleted. Um, they take much long, it's much longer to recover those. Um, and, you know, water supplies from the Colorado River, which supply water for about 20 million people in California, um, are still limited. Uh, in the in the forecast there with climate change uh, and demands on that system, there's there will be less water for California from the Colorado River. Uh, so, you know, on the one hand, it's great news, but but we still have water supply issues and challenges uh, around the state. Yeah, well, let's uh, talk about some of those issues right now, starting with the groundwater issue. Um, maybe it's a good moment for a uh, California water cycle 101 right now. So it sounds like even when we get all of this snow runoff, even when we get our uh, reservoirs filled, that does not necessarily mean that our groundwater, our, uh, our aquifers are going to get recharged as well? Yeah, so as water is sort of moving its way through the system, through rivers and streams, there is some recharge of groundwater. Um, and increasingly, we're doing more intentional recharge where we're flooding land uh, that and then use and then that water is slowly filtering underground to recharge those aquifers. Um, but it just takes a lot longer. Um, and we're not doing as much as that as, as we could be. Um, and there's a lot of effort to do more. Um, but, you know, 
On a typical year, about 40% of our supply comes from groundwater. Um, during droughts, it goes up to 60% and even more in some areas. So we draw those aquifers down very heavily, very quickly during droughts. And it takes several years, if ever, to really replenish them. Uh, and so, you know, whereas we see the immediate boost in, in surface water, our reservoirs, we see that with, fill up very, in some cases very quickly, those aquifers just take much longer. Speaking once again with Heather Cooley with the Pacific Institute. So what, what kinds of challenges is this causing? Um, obviously, when we're talking about uh, groundwater, a lot of the folks that rely on that are living in more rural areas, uh, using uh, wells, ground pumping. So uh, when folks, you know, in the Central Valley, for example, don't have that water resource uh, anymore, what, what sort of challenges is that creating? Yeah, so there are individual households that rely on groundwater, and then there are small communities and even larger communities that that rely on groundwater, um, particularly for the smaller communities, they often don't have other sources available. They're really dependent on a single source of water. They don't have, uh, you know, supply surface water that they can rely on. And so it, they still remain in, in water supply constraints in drought, essentially. Um, so, you know, as water levels drop, uh, they have to expend more energy to bring it to the surface. Um, there are sometimes water quality issues, the deeper you go, um, it's less clean in some instances. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it, it, they still continue to, to uh, you know, suffer from, from drought and lack of water. Hmm. Yeah, and we can uh, circle back on some of that in just uh, a second. Um, let's touch on another issue that you just raised though, the fact that uh, even with all this wet weather, not all of California's sources of water have been replenished, uh, in particular, the Colorado River, which is a really important source of water for Southern California, feeding into Lake Powell, Lake Mead. That really hasn't been helped out much at all this year. Uh, is that right? Yes, um, that is correct. So, you know, the Colorado River has is, is been in a 22-year drought, um, and there's broad recognition now that that this isn't just drought. This is really a shift to a more arid environment, a drier, hotter sort of future. Uh, and so, you know, that means that there's less water available for all of the states that rely on it and, and for Mexico as well. Uh, and so, you know, water levels in Lake Mead and Lake Powell uh, have continued to drop even though there's been, you know, there's been a little boost, <laughs> um, it's it's really not, it's not enough given all the demands that are on, on that system. It may buy a little time, but the issues that we're facing are long-term sort of structural issues, and they really require us to rethink how we're using and managing water across the Western United States. All right. Well, let's get into the uh, solutions to these problems next. Uh, real quick, though, going to remind listeners that this is KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Manconi. Speaking with Heather Cooley, Director of Research at the Pacific Institute, talking about this water windfall that we've seen over the course of these past few months and the lingering challenges that uh, California is still facing on the water conservation front. Uh, now we're talking about some of the things that we could do to address those challenges. Uh, Heather Cooley, you've touched on a few of the things that you would like to see. Uh, I, I guess I'll leave it to you where to take the next part of our conversation. If uh, if you had your way, what would be at the top of California's to-do list when it comes to shoring up our water conservation efforts? Well, I think one, one of the key strategies uh, for California is water conservation and efficiency. 
Um, yes, our, our reservoirs are refilling, um, but we can't squander the water we now have. Water's precious and we can't afford to waste it. Uh, so we can and must use water efficiently. Uh, and I, and I want to emphasize too, when I talk about water efficiency, that doesn't mean sort of doing without. I'm not talking about brown lawns. I'm not talking about rocks. Um, I'm talking about sort of replacing old appliances, old wasteful appliances with newer, more efficient models. Um, taking out water intensive grass uh, and instead putting in plants that are more appropriate for our climate. Um, it means sort of building up soil health uh, using compost and mulch so that we can hold on to rainwater and make it available for our plants during the spring and in the summer. Uh, you know, it means fixing leaks, uh, you know, things that are, are sort of wasting and in some instances damaging homes, damaging businesses and, and repairing those. So there are a lot of opportunities to be using water efficiently by updating our appliances, our fixtures and our landscapes. It's not only gonna help us save water, uh, but it saves energy. Um, it can improve water quality. It can provide in the case of, of plants, a local habitat for birds and pollinators. There are a lot of reasons that we can continue to build on the successes that we've had and use water more efficiently. Um, our, our research demonstrates for California, we can further reduce urban water use by about 30 to 48% using existing technologies uh, and practices. So a lot of opportunity there. Yeah, uh, of course, uh, another major challenge, though, is uh, what we've been discussing throughout this program, just the fact that we are looking at uh, a really volatile future when it comes to precipitation, long periods of dry weather followed by extreme rains like we saw this past year. Um, uh, that's a pattern that we're expecting to be growing even more common, and uh, it's just going to be really difficult to predict when these atmospheric rivers are going to be rolling through. All of that just speaking to the need for capturing as much water as we can during these uh, wet opportunities and storing that away for the leaner times. Uh, Heather Cooley, what are your thoughts on what kinds of investments should be made to make that possible? Yeah, well, I think again, water efficiency is a is a great example. Um, it, by not using water, every gallon we we don't use is is water that's left in storage for later use. So I do think it's a key component of preparing us for future droughts, and we do it whether it's wet or dry. It just makes sense every year. Um, another opportunity is around water reuse. Um, we take wastewater and we treat it to very high level, and then in many instances. Most of it is discharged uh, into our oceans, into water, into other waterways. Um, we can be doing a better job of recycling and reusing that water. We're seeing progress in that area, but we estimate we could triple current water reuse levels, again, using existing technologies. Um, a third option, and again, this is a great example this year, we've had all this rain, we could do a better job of capturing some of that storm water. Uh, using it to recharge groundwater so that it's available in those lean years, um, uh, holding it in cisterns so that we can use it for our for our needs uh, for later. So, you know, again, here too, we have a lot of opportunity to be capturing some and developing some of these local water sources in addition to reducing demand through efficiency. Yeah, so a lot of options on the table. Um, I, I do wonder, though, you know, uh, obviously it is nice to have all this extra water, but at, at the same time, we run the risk of uh, now lulling ourselves into a false sense of uh, complacency. Um, 
So in, in closing, I'm curious for your perspective. Um, do you feel like we're going to take the lessons of these past three years of drought, um, take them to heart and actually carry out some of these measures that you're talking about? Um, uh, do, do you feel momentum going in that direction? Well, I do. I do have. I certainly have hope that we are. I mean, every time we have had a drought in California, we do see a reduction in use, uh, and that those are permanent savings. Um, they put us in a better position for the next drought. So, you know, we are seeing that. In fact, we're seeing communities use less water than they did 30 years ago uh, because they're using it more efficiently. We can do more, um, and I think we can and should increase our investments in efficiency. That's one area where we're making investments, but we need to be making more. I am seeing greater investment from the federal government. Uh, certainly, that's helpful in leveraging, I think, additional resources at the local level. Um, so, you know, I'm hopeful. I, I see significant opportunities that we could be doing more and investing in more. Um, and I think we will have to do that in order to ensure, you know, safe, clean, reliable water uh, for, for communities in the face of climate change. All right. Well, uh, a lot to chew over. And uh, I, I, I suppose... No matter what our water future might look like, um, there will certainly never be any shortage of water topics to talk about in California. So uh, we thank you for talking us through this one today. Uh, we have been speaking one last time to Heather Cooley, Director of Research at the Pacific Institute, a water think tank based out of Oakland. Heather Cooley, thanks so much. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll talk again next week. been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 